So today we're going to be completing our Made for Mission series with a message called Bring Somebody With You. And if you want to turn in your Bibles, we're going to start out in Luke chapter 8, spend most of our time there, and the other verses we'll be going into will be on the back of your bulletins this morning. Over the past five weeks, we've talked about how all Christians have been called by God to join his mission to reach the world. We've talked about what we're supposed to say, who we're supposed to say it to, and who we should live and why we should live on mission to begin with. If you missed any of them, they're all on the podcast and the links, as well as the scriptures we're using today, they're on the back of your bulletin. You can go there and listen to any of the past messages here. So a quick question to start us out. How many people here could tell me the first names of their great-grandparents? Anybody? You can raise your hand, that's okay. There are a couple people here that could tell me. How many people know your grandparents' first name? Almost everybody. I know my grandparents' first name. I just use this example to show you a truth. And this is going to sound like a really depressing thought for a Sunday morning. But you're only a few decades away from being totally forgotten. Think about that for a moment. Everything you've accomplished in life, everything you've strived for, everything you've built up, in a couple decades, it's going to be totally forgotten and probably hardly anybody will remember you. But there's some good news here about that this morning. Is that God's calling on your life is always bigger than just your lifetime. Well, just about all of us couldn't go back three generations or an old family tree and, and remember who our, our great-great-grandparents are. It's not the case in our spiritual family. Based on how the Bible reads, I have a suspicion that when we get to heaven, we're going to be able to study our spiritual family forwards and backwards. Just imagine... Ancestry.com is a pretty cool website where you can go back and, and go back several generations in your family and, and learn people's first names. But in heaven, we're going to have Ancestry.com on steroids. We're going to be able to look back and see every little thing that happened in the past for decades and decades and even centuries past. All those people that had to be witnessed to, that had to come to know Jesus Christ in order for you to be sitting here this morning. That's going to be pretty neat. Think of that. Centuries ago, somebody had to be in that chain of believers to accept Jesus Christ in order for you to be sitting here this morning. That's pretty, pretty mind-blowing when you think about that. And what's even more mind-blowing is I'm wondering, personally, if we're going to be able to follow up and look at how the ripples of our own lifetime impacted other people spiritually. How we were that one person in that timeline who led to future generations of people coming to know Christ. That if we were taken out of that, whole families never would have known who Jesus was. Today we're going to go back to a familiar portion of Scripture that has been used a lot in this series. It's a scene that we, from the life of the disciple of Jesus called Peter. And we've talked a lot about Peter in this series. Peter is one of those insert foot, open mouth kind of guys. 
Every time he says something, he usually regrets it. He just says the first thing that comes flying out of his mouth. He's always getting in trouble. He's always speaking before thinking. And if you've ever done that before, you're going to be able to relate for him. Peter is the guy that's always going to make the boneheaded mistake in the Bible. When you read about about the things that he would say in the Bible, there was almost always a rebuke or a correction from Jesus following what he said. For some of us, he might even be your patron saint. He goes, I identify with Peter. I'm, I'm going to read his stuff and, and understand. And I know if, if Peter made it to heaven, I have a chance. So today we're going to read two stories found in the book of Luke. And we're going to start in Luke chapter 8 and verse 40. Now when Jesus returned, a crowd welcomed him, for they were all expecting him. Then a man named Jairus, a synagogue leader, came and fell at Jesus' feet, pleading with him to come to his house because his only daughter, a girl of about 12, was dying. So Jesus and the disciples pull into town on a boat, and on the docks to meet them is this guy named Jairus. His description is very key here. He is the synagogue leader for his area. That's a big deal. How many people here know the name of the guy who's the mayor of Whitehall? Or Blair? Or Independence? Or Arcadia? Probably not many of us know anybody who's in charge around here. Maybe one or two people here could even tell me who the sheriff is. Just because that was a big election last year. But Jarius... On the other hand, he is known by everybody. He is the man in his town that everybody knows and everybody respects and everybody follows. So he's a big deal. And from a church growth perspective, getting Jarius on board with this movement that Jesus is starting would be a really good idea. He is a guy that you want behind you. He is a guy that could exercise the most influence over his community to bring people into Jesus' movement. You know, I've heard reports that a guy named Justin Beaver has become a Christian. I don't know, I don't know if, if you know who that is. If you're under 45 or so, I guess he's a famous pop star. I don't know if I've ever heard any of his music. I'm kind of over 45, so I guess this would be our generation or this generation's Elvis. Or if we're really, really a senior saint here, Frank Sinatra. If you go all the way back to Frank Sinatra. So this is a, a pretty big deal that, that Justin Bieber became a Christian. And the church loves to take advantage of a celebrity's influence to spread the gospel. But you know, I don't think that's how God normally chooses to work. In fact, the Bible seems to indicate that God loves to do extraordinary things through very ordinary people. God uses the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. And so he loves to use your common everyday people. Let's go back to this story. I don't know what Jesus is thinking, but I'll bet you the disciples are thinking kind of like how I was. You know, if you want to get this movement going in this area, we need Jarius on board. And so Jarius is the immediate priority for them. So let's check out what happens next. Luke 8, 42. 
As Jesus was on his way, the crowds almost crushed him, and a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years, but no one could heal her. She came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak, and immediately her bleeding stopped. Who touched me? Jesus asked. When they all denied it, Peter said, Master, the, the people are crowding and pressing all against you. But Jesus said, Someone touched me. I know the power has gone out from me. Then the woman, seeing that she could not go unnoticed, came trembling and fell at his feet. In the presence of all the people, she told why she had touched him and how she had been instantly healed. Then he said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. You know, you're, you're reading this, and it, it kind of sounds like Peter was sticking his foot in his mouth again. I mean, Jesus is in a massive crowd of people, all pressing in to get his attention, and then suddenly he stops and says, Who touched me? I don't know if you've ever been to like a large sporting event, but you know, when the exit comes and all the people are kind of shuffling through and you're literally pressed in like this, 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 is, this is exactly how Jesus was, was um, walking through this crowd right now. This is like trying to exit Lambeau Field after the Packers play. It made no sense for Jesus to ask this because everybody was touching him. Also, what made no sense, at least in the disciples' mind, is that Jesus stops on the way to this huge ministry opportunity, this huge um, chance that he has to win the person that could open up all the doors in his area to talk to a woman that everyone else has ignored. And not even just ignored, but they've actively gone out of their way to shun this woman. Now, there are a lot of things we can probably guess about her. She's poor. It says in one of the other Gospels that she had given everything she had to try to, to find a cure for her disease, but nothing had worked. She's alone because you don't see anybody with her in this scene. She's seriously shamed and shunned by the city. The religious leader would, leaders of the time taught from the Old Testament that these kind of diseases were punishments from God. And anyone who had this disease was considered unclean. So she wasn't even allowed out in public, much less pressing through a crowd to try to get to a religious leader. But still, with all of that baggage she's carrying with her, she takes this huge risk to try to get to Jesus. And she shoves her way through the crowd that's packed in around him. Think about all the scorn, all the abuse that she had to endure. People say, what are you doing here? Go home where you belong. Don't touch me, you'll make me unclean. I won't be able to go to temple. Get away from me. And I just imagine that <coughs> she's getting shoved to the side and, and given dirty looks. Yet in all of this, this woman is relentless to get to Jesus. And it pays off. And her whole life is changed in a single moment. And one of the things that we learn from this scripture is that you have no idea when or where God wants to use you. In fact, your greatest impact will probably come when you're least expecting it. 
Something else I want you to see. This woman has been suffering with this disease for 12 years. 12 years. She's prayed. She's asked prayer at the tabernacle. She's asked prayer. She's sent out prayer requests for 12 years for God to remove this. For over a decade, she's prayed this. And if you walked in here and you're carrying around a prayer request for what seems like forever, learn a lesson from this woman. Don't give up. Run to Jesus. There's always hope. He can do more for you in a moment than anyone else can in, in this lifetime. Continuing the story in Luke chapter 8, 49. It says, while Jesus was still speaking, someone came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, he said. Don't bother the teacher anymore. Upon hearing this, Jesus said to Jairus, don't be afraid, just believe and she will be healed. When they arrived at the house of Jairus, he did not let anyone go in with him except Peter, John, and James, and the child's father and mother. Meanwhile, all the people were wailing and mourning for her. Stop wailing, Jesus said. She's not dead, but asleep. And they laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. But he took her by the hand and said, My child, get up. Her spirit returned, and at once she stood up. Then Jesus told them to give her something to eat. Her parents were astonished, but he ordered them not to tell anybody what had happened. So just to review, they get to Jairus' place, and his daughter is already dead. Can you imagine what was going through the disciples' mind at this point? They're probably mumbling to each other in the back. You know, if we didn't stop along the way to, to, to minister to that woman we would have had a chance to have Jairus in our backyard. Jesus ignores that. He grabs a couple of guys and the girl's parents and he goes up to see the dead girl. Jesus then tells them, she's just sleeping. Now imagine, put yourself in, in this situation and hearing Jesus say that. Probably out of pain, the disciples and others close to the family nervously laugh. Like, what is this rabbi talking about? And I can tell you as somebody who has, who has had to tell people that their relatives have, have, have passed on many times, that believe it or not, laughter is one of the first things that happens because it's, it's such a shock and, and such astonishment. This, this often gets looked at in the Bible as, as they were being cold and indifferent, but sometimes they'll laugh because they, they, they can't process. They don't know what else to do. But Jesus ignores this apparent lack of faith. He grabs the girl's hand and raises her from the dead. Think about this girl's life after this, and what a story for her to share. Think about how her parents got to not only hear about Jesus, but see what Jesus could do. And in that one moment, even though the, throughout the disciples' doubt, throughout Peter's pro, um, protesting everything or, or questioning everything, all that, in one moment, the synagogue leader of the area became a Jesus follower. How old was this girl? 
12 years old. How long did the woman suffer from the bleeding? 12 years. Consider this. God himself has been awaiting for this amazing day for 12 years. Two people with that had something to do with 12 years get healed on the same day. And what this means for us, God has picked a day when he's going to answer your greatest need. And you know what? He's looking forward to this. He's looking forward to this like a parent giving a present to their children on Christmas. And they know what this present's going to be since December 1st, but they have to wait till December 25th to see the, the look on their face when the child opens that present. He is looking forward that same way to you today for when you are going to open this present. He wants to see the look on your face. He wants to experience your joy when that answer to that prayer finally comes. And, you know, I've read these stories dozens of times, but I think I miss the most impactful part. You know, we, we focus on the miracles, and those are huge. He heals this, this bleeding woman. He raises this child from the dead. But I don't think they were the most impacting. Here's the most impacting thing. When Jesus arrived at the house of Jairus, he didn't let anyone go in with him except for Peter, James, and John, and the girl's father or mother. And you'd have to ask yourself, with everything Peter has done in the past, everything, every question he's asked, why did Jesus allow Peter to come in? I mean, after all, Peter had just questioned him in public, told him he was wrong a minute and a half ago. And then Jesus brings him along to Jairus' house, and Peter laughs when Jesus remarks that the girl is, is sleeping. So why is Jesus bringing Peter upstairs significant? Because it goes back to our main idea this morning. And that's that God's calling on your life is bigger than your lifetime. We worry about being forgotten, but everything we do in this lifetime for God continues on after we get to go to heaven and be with him. But that's only true if you join God in his mission. So bring somebody with you. If you go live the mission you're made for, don't do it alone. Bring somebody else along with you for the ride. And this may be the single greatest leadership lesson that Jesus taught us. I can make a strong case that Jesus is the greatest leader of all time, yet you never, he never wrote a book. He never made that, that speaking tour to go out and promote his, his latest project. He never held a public office. He never even went outside of his small area of the world. He's only on the public scene for a little over three and a half years, and then he dies at the age of 33. But here we are, 2,000 years later, and there's up 2 billion people following him today and doing what he told us to do from all corners of the earth, hundreds of different languages. This movement that he started is growing faster now worldwide than ever before. So I would say that's some pretty good leadership. So bring somebody with you. 
Do you know how many times it says in the, in the Bible that Jesus took his disciples and they went somewhere? Or he was always taking a few of them aside and for personal ministry? With the exception of a very few personal prayer times, every time in the gospel it said that Jesus went somewhere, he took others with him. Jesus always showed great intentionality when it came to sharing in his ministry. Jesus always brought people with him. In fact, consider the last words of Jesus to his disciples before he returns to heaven. Most of you will recognize these words. They're, they're the Great Commission in Matthew 28, 19. It says, Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the end of the age. In the Greek, the literal translation is, as you go, make disciples. As you live, bring others with you. And let them become disciples also. And think about all the different applications of that. The first one is obvious. It's you definitely go through your life intentionally sharing Jesus with the people you meet. And the other application is obvious from watching Jesus' life. Bring other people along with you and let them see how you live and disciple them as they watch you follow Jesus in your own life. And if Jesus is truly in the driver's seat of your life, it's not so much you bringing him with you, but instead he's bringing you along with him. Right? So what, did, what he did for the disciples 2,000 years ago, Jesus still wants to do in our lives today. As he disciples us now, he invites us to do the same with others. Many of us do this and we don't even realize this. Let me, let me show you a couple of practical examples. Parents, you're already doing this with your kids. You're bringing them along with you. Parents, if you're bringing your, your kids, try bringing your kids' friends. Most parents won't object to if you, you, know, you have a Saturday night sleepover. I mean, I did this occasionally. Saturday night sleepover with some unsaved friends and we bring them to church on Sundays. In other ways, you serve in the ministry. Invite somebody to serve with you. We've had people that, that have been cleaning forever alone and now they're inviting people to come and help clean with them. Maybe you can try being an usher or greeter. Uh, bring somebody with you to do that. I think we're getting big enough now to actually have an usher team. And maybe God is poking you right now to organize that. Maybe God will use me to poke you to help you to organize that. With friends and family, bring them with you as you try to live out your faith. And invite them to church. This is why we have things like, like movie nights and fellowship meals. Just non-confrontational ways of, to bring people in and introduce them to Jesus. I just read a study this week that shows that the average churchgoer in North America brings an average of zero lost people with them to church. Zero. And the reason the number is so low is they had to round it down because it was like .00042 something. It was, it was something that they just said, nobody, hardly anybody does it. 
And I think the reason that people don't invite people to church or don't invite people into their spiritual lives is that your assessment of them just may be wrong. You may think there's no way they'll ever accept Jesus, there's no way they're going to come to faith, or you think that, that they won't be able to handle it if you bring them along on a mission someday. Maybe it's going to be a, a bed-building thing that we go to, and you think that, yeah, I don't want them to come, and, and, and maybe they'll, they'll do something or say something and embarrass me or something. But you know what? Don't miss out on what God can do. Those people you think might be the worst people to bring to church or to, to bring to a mission might be the ones that surprise you and surrender their, to the lordship of Jesus. Or it could even be that you might be right, that they are going to make an idiot of themselves. But you know what? God will use that to grow them. I can stand up here and tell you right now, God has used my mistakes far more than my successes to grow me. Anybody ever grown through failure before? I know I have. For, for example, parents, your job is to protect your kids. If your kid, excuse me, your job is not to protect your kids from every failing. Your job is to raise them up to trust God, even in their failure. So let's backtrack. What happens with Peter? Jesus could have just left Peter outside. I mean, after all, you never know what Peter's going to say. You never know what dumb thing he's going to do. But in this case, Peter got the lesson. Peter learned it. Jesus can raise the dead. But what if Jesus didn't bring him? What if Jesus is, was like many of us sometimes, where we don't want to take the risk to, to let this person come along with us? Flip over to Acts chapter 9. If Jesus hadn't taken a risk and brought Peter with him, this future scene that we're about to read would never have happened. In Acts chapter 9, verse 36, it says in Joppa, there is a disciple named Tabitha. In Greek, her name is Dorcas. She was always doing good and helping the poor. About that time, she became sick and died, and her body was washed and placed in an upstairs room. Lida was near Joppa. So when the disciples heard that Peter was in Lida, he sent two people or two men to him and urged him, please come at once. Peter went with him, and when he arrived, he was taken upstairs to the room. All the widows stood around, crying and showing him the robes and other clothing that Dorcas had made while she was still with them. Peter sent all of them out of the room and then got down on his knees and prayed. Does this scene already look familiar? Peter is just following the example of Jesus here. Turning toward the dead woman, he said, Tabitha, get up. She opened her eyes and seeing that Peter was there, she sat up. He took her by the hand and helped her to her feet. Then he called for the believers, especially the widows, and presented her to them alive. And this became known all over Joppa, and many people believed in the Lord. Peter heals Tabitha 
just like Jesus healed Jairus' daughter. Many people came to believe in Jesus throughout Joppa simply because Jesus took Peter with him years ago. God loves to connect all those dots and help us join him in the mission. And you have no idea what God wants to do through us or when he wants us to do it. And this is why God's calling on your life is bigger than your lifetime. As I said in the beginning, we're all one or two generations away from being completely forgotten. And there's only one thing that will last. And it isn't your current trouble. That trouble isn't going to last. It doesn't matter how sick you are, because that's not going to last either. Or how big of a mess you're in right now. It won't last. The only thing that will outlast you and carry into eternity is if you bring somebody with you on this journey. A few years ago, I was thinking about these things and kind of realizing that, you know, in a few years, everything I've done, nobody's going to remember anything I've done. And then I realized the, the primary message that we're talking about today. Yeah, in 30 years, nobody may remember me. But having a few extra people in heaven that you helped influence to follow Jesus, that's going to be forever. And the impact from that will be celebrated throughout eternity. So bring somebody with you. Let's all rise. So a couple of questions this morning. All of us have people in our lives that need to hear about Jesus. So who is God calling you to? Who can you bring with? Who in your life would God say, you know, as you continue to pursue after me, as you continue to follow me, I want you to invite this person, whether he knows me or not right now, to come along with you. I want you to befriend that person. I want you to speak into that person's life. I want you to love that person. Even if that person is unlovable, love that person into the kingdom. And you know what? They may laugh. They may laugh at you. But that's okay. Because they'll be in good company. Peter laughed, but he learned. And he brought others with him. So, Father God, I just ask, Lord, that you just open up our hearts and our minds and our spirits this morning to see the incredible plan that you have for our lives. That we not worry so much about this life, but we worry or, or strive to please you in the next one. That we use and leverage this life to speak into eternity for dozens and dozens of people we come in contact with every single day. Lord God, I just ask that you help us to all have that kind of kingdom mindset with everyone we meet, whether it's a person checking us out in the grocery store or somebody we work with that, that gets under our skin. I ask, Father, that you help them to see them with, that you help us to see them with your eyes, that you help us to put aside our own 
preconceptions or our own ideas about them ever accepting you and still show them the love of Jesus. Still speak into them. Still try to include them in this great journey we call life, Lord. Father God, I thank you for your people today. I ask, Father, that throughout this series that we've had, that you've helped them to see that they were made for a mission and that they embrace that kind of lifestyle, Lord, so that all kinds of people throughout Trempolo County will come to know Jesus as Lord and Savior. Lord God, I bless your people now, and I ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for coming. Remember, set your clocks back or forward next week.